because that's the last thing I think I have to accomplish at Michigan. I mean, I've accomplished everything and more than I thought I was going to. And that's the one thing that I wanted to do more than anything going in when I committed. Welcome back to the Social Kick podcast with a repeat guest and a new Olympic gold medal. Welcome from north of the border at Lake Huron, Maggie McNeil. Good to see you again. Great to see you guys. I'm so glad to be back on the show. Thanks for bringing back some hardware. Uh, we know that it was because of such a positive experience with us that you went on to win gold. So you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Luke's been taking all the credit. He's been walking around telling everyone, you know what? I'm responsible for a lot of medals at the Olympics. <laughs> well, it's, we were concerned at U.S. trials because we knew so many guests at U.S. trials. And then we thought we had a curse going at U.S. trials because they weren't doing always so good. But the guests who went to the Olympics, we it was pretty good. So and, and we're so happy that you won Canada's first Olympic gold medal of the game. And so that was that was awesome. Yeah, even though I mean, it seemed like you so didn't know you won. Pardon? So even though it seemed like you didn't really know you won. <laughs> I didn't though. Like I could not see anyone at all, like the entire race. So it definitely took a while to figure that out. Do you have no idea you were seven for the turn? Sarah nope. was next to you. She was ahead of you. And you just turned and you did your thing. Yeah. Sarah was behind me. She oh, was right. Right. She was. Yeah. She was out six, nine. Yeah. Yeah. Was that strange with no crowd? Um, yeah. It really wasn't. I mean, I mean, Canada, we never really have much of a crowd anyways. But I think just like the whole year, the fact that we did time trials and we did even our trials, like we didn't have anyone in the stands. And I guess there was more of an atmosphere at Big Tens and NC2As. But I mean, having the team in the stands that wasn't so mad, like a certain day, I mean, there was still like some sort of atmosphere. So it wasn't like, it wasn't that weird. Hmm. Talk about trials. I mean, Canada's trials, you know, I mean, April, uh, this one, it was, this time it was two weeks before you swam. What, what did you do? How was that? How was that adjustment from trials to the games? It wasn't too bad. I mean, I didn't really taper at all for trials, so I kind of just swam through it. Um, but I went up faster in my hunter fly like a couple of weeks before at one of our mini time trials. So I was kind of wasn't sure how my hunter fly was going to go at the Olympics. But I was like, I'm just training. So hopefully it'll all come together uh, when it needs to. Yeah, we were talking in our Olympic recap about, you know, prelim final or morning finals and how it looked like the Olympics got off to a little sluggish start with the IMs, not too many fast times. What was your experience with the, with the morning finals and how did you overcome that? I thought it was going to be a lot harder than it was, to be honest. I mean, going mm -hmm. in, I did like something with some Canada and Kylie and I were talking to Brent Hayden about it because he had experience from Beijing, I think it was. Years of experience. Uh, so yeah, years of experience. <laughs> So that was really helpful, but I honestly didn't think too much of it. I mean, as soon as we entered the pool, like there weren't windows and there weren't really, you couldn't really tell what kind of day it was. So it was kind of just like finals that just felt normal. Um, but it was really nice having like the rest of the day after to kind of chill and call my parents and just hang out as opposed to having to go right to bed and kind of focus for the next morning. Yeah, did you feel like, um that there was anything that had prepared you well to swim at that like time of the day. I mean, the film started around 10 a.m., right? And then you've got NCAAs that kind of start around the same time or even maybe an hour later. Uh, so it, it, it's not like it's, 
a foreign concept of swimming in the morning. It's pretty late, especially for those of us who are used to 6 a.m. practices. Um, you know, so, hey, I mean, it's a positive benefit to being able to go to bed early. But was, is there anything that you can point to and go like, yeah, I was able to really get up for finals because of, of that thing? I wouldn't say there was anything like in particular. I mean, growing up, I've always been pretty good at getting after it in the morning and going for it just because like that's what my club coach always told us to do. It's like you have to make it back. So you have to go out for it in the morning. Uh, but NC2As, I kind of just would coast through the mornings. So, I mean, that's definitely something I didn't kind of use uh, when I was in Tokyo. But I think just knowing that getting up four hours before kind of helped me wake up, uh, that kind of was the only thing I really did uh, before uh, finals to get ready. Is there no, like, stress of, like, trying to sleep or anything? Because I can imagine that what you've had a – maybe if even if you had, like, a heat the night before – and you're like, right, oh my God, I've got I've got an Olympic final in the morning. Is there no like stress of like not being able to sleep or be you pretty all right with that stuff? It was okay. I mean, I didn't really sleep much as a whole, I think, as well as I could have like throughout the whole meet. But I think 100 fly prelims was pretty early on. It was like, I was done, I think by like 7.30 or something like that. So it wasn't too bad. And then they got the flyers back to the village and they didn't put me on the, the prelim relay. Uh, just because that would finish at like midnight or close to it. Uh, so it wasn't too bad. I mean, it did take a while to fall asleep, I think just with the excitement and everything. But I think I just took really long naps during the day and it, it kind of got me through. I want to the circle back to where you... oh, Sorry, Meg. Um, I just I want just to circle back to um, you saying that you couldn't really see anyone in the finals race. Is that normal that you can't really see anyone when you swim? No, that was a first for me. Uh, usually I'm in like the middle of the pool, I would say. So I can kind of see people on either side of me. But like the turn was really the only time I could see anyone. And I didn't know I was seventh. I just knew Sierra was behind me and I couldn't really see anyone else like on the other side. Do you think that helped out? Obviously, Sarah, you would expect or we would always expect her to go out fast. Obviously, she's had a, a crazy last year and she had a great meet considering everything she went through. But you're like ahead of Sarah. Was it like, OK, well, I know Sarah's going out in 25-5 or something crazy. I'm ahead of her. I'm good. Yeah, it was it was definitely weird. I mean, I think I was in her heat and something else and she went out fast. So I think it was just the fact that she had a lot of training probably just with her injury and she had an unbelievable Olympics, like despite that. So it was really weird to see her kind of like do the opposite to what she normally does, which I wouldn't say it threw me off just because I was so focused on my own race. But like, I guess, I don't know. I would say that it didn't really phase me too much, but I just was trying to focus on myself and not hanging up on what she was doing or trying to like pace off of her, I guess. Did you swim according to the plan you and Rick set out? Was that how you expected to swim or was it different how it played out in final? I feel like it played out how it normally would or my, my strategy, I guess, what I'm known for now. Yeah. But uh, I didn't expect to be seventh at the turn. I think that probably should get better. But I think the ironic part is I was faster by like 0.2 than I was at Worlds on the first 50. So just pushing that speed a bit more, I think, will help me get under closer to 54 at least. You felt great that last 25, didn't you? You 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 feeling solid or you or you were like oh my god this hurts I just gotta go I gotta go I gotta go I gotta go what was that last twenty five because you just accelerated your tempo changed and you went for it yeah I honestly don't really remember um, but looking at my videos from prelims and finals or semis like I wasn't like the one thing I was focusing on was bringing my stroke rate up on the second fifty because 
I wasn't too happy with my prelims and my semi time. So the coaches yeah. and I were kind of trying to analyze how I could improve going into the final. And the one thing that, that really stuck out to them was my stroke rate had been so much lower than it was at Worlds. And even at trials, I think it was higher. So that was my one goal was to like increase my stroke rate. So I feel like my stroke rate just increasing increased even more by like the last 15 meters when it hurts really, really bad. So I think that's probably just what happened. What did you do to do that? Did you change your breathing pattern? Did you change your, your time of your kick? What did you do to make a conscious effort to get the stroke rate up? Because it was like, it was remarkable. We noticed it. Yeah. Uh, I think I just tried to move my arms a little bit faster. <laughs> I don't think I think too much about like how I'm gonna go faster. <laughs> You know, when I'm trying to close pass, I just think, go faster. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's kind of all that I think about when I'm like the last 15 meters, I guess. Uh, do you ever find, you seem to be pretty uh, good about staying in your own lane, but that was such a competitive field and you're coming in in an outside lane. So even as a, you know, a previous world champion, defending world champion, plus, you know, the NCAA accolades that you've achieved, um, you know, there's still a, a lot of competition. And so it'd be easy to sit in that ready room and, um, you know, and be thinking about things outside of what you can control. I'm just curious what you, what thoughts you have about that experience? What was the ready room like? What was the pre-race like? And how are you framing uh, your mind to perform at your best? Yeah. So believe it or not, I was not nervous at all for that race. Huh. Like, I think I might've been more nervous at like, club meets or like even prelims of trials like I don't know why I just like wasn't nervous at all and I think it was because I wasn't happy with my prelim and my semi so at that point I was kind of like I'm just gonna swim it and whatever happens happens so I kind of had like a carefree attitude and I think that's an important step going forward just so like I'm not kind of paralyzing myself with anxiety or nerves or whatever but I mean the ready room was just like normally, I guess it's tense and it's kind of quiet and people are in the zone and kind of, they realize what's on, at stake here and they've been working five years for this. Um, but I was kind of just chilling, like not thinking too much of it for once. And I thought that was really surprising, but I think it's a good lesson to take forward. You know, guys, I can't think, not many swimmers uh, have got world championship, the NCAA championship over record and the Olympic championship that's that's a rare trifecta in swimming, to be honest. But is it true that the Olympic championship was was the most I don't know the, the, the most uh, in, in, in thrilling for you, or was it your first world championships? Was, is the Olympics really that different from those other two major accomplishments? I would say no. I mean, I think Worlds was just thrilling because it was my first senior team, and I was kind of just taking in everything and just yeah. had no expectations whatsoever. I think out of the three meets, I think I was the most anxious and nervous about yeah. the Hunterfly final at NC2As uh, than I was at Worlds or at the Olympics. I'm uh, not sure what that, why that was. I mean, I've always wanted a ring. So I think maybe I was like, I want a ring and this is my last chance to get it. So I think that was, that was my motivation, I think, at that point. Hmm. I mean, it's so interesting to me that you, you were so – like you said, you weren't happy with the prelim and semis at the Olympics. Because looking at it, I was like, oh, Maggie always seems cool. She's just kind of getting into the next race. She's, you know, she knows where she is. She's, you know, she she stays in tune with her splits and what's going on. So, yeah, I could say fifth or sixth. Yeah, just cruising in. But what was it that 
made you, like you said, be able to step it up at finals? Was it just trying to focus on tempo or that being relaxed? What what would you attribute such a good finals compared to prelims and semis for? Yeah, I think it'd just be like those two things I mentioned. I mean, tempo was like the one big thing that the coaches were like, if you do this, you could win. So I think I knew that was my mindset going in. And I just, that's all I thought about was I just have to increase my tempo and whatever happens will happen. So I think it was the laid backness of that as well. And my club team actually rented out a drive-in movie to watch finals on like the big screen. So I feel like that also attributed to my nerves and semis. I was just like, I just have to make the final and not ruin this event. Uh, but I found out later they had a backup plan and they were going to play the relay uh, from the previous night if I didn't make it into the final. <laughs> Do you think that the fact that you can't see as well like gives anything to it? Because obviously you're swimming your own race because you actually can't see what else is going on as well. Like it's just pure like personal drive, I guess, in each race. Like you're swimming your race. You you can't rely on anybody else to sort of push you forward. So do you think that sort of credits to any of it as well? I mean, I think it must. I mean, I feel like at that point it's kind of mind over matter. But, like, I can see big objects. Like, I can see moving bodies. I can see the wall, which is kind of why I've decided I don't want to wear contacts and I don't really need lace yeah. or anything. So, I'm like, as long as I can read the set on the block that's really, like, close to my face and I can see the wall, that's all I kind of really need to see. But I think there it probably go. does attribute it to it a little bit. Yeah. Luke, if you can answer the question or put post a YouTube clip for everyone that has glasses that people ask, how, how do you swim? <laughs> You can still see the big objects, all the main things. You're good to go. You see the wall. What else do you need, right? Nothing. Right? I, I've gotten asked a million times. I'm sure Meg has. Luke is just wearing fake glasses, I think. I'm so fake glasses. Really <laughs> <laughs> you look smart and then I am. That's fine. <laughs> well, Maggie, uh, so I got introduced to swimming uh, by my my sister uh, who did before I did. And uh, she, she also wears glasses and we were talking about you finished and your uh how you became aware that you're olympic champion and that kind of delay that we all saw like you finished the race you take the goggles off and then look and then oh my gosh and, and just uh, like just sharing stories about how my sister had a similar experience where she doesn't see uh the clock and never knew until she walked up to my parents or walked up to the coach after she had exited the pool and found out hey so how did how did i do <laughs> i can't imagine what that what that reality must be like but um but but I think uh, yeah I admire your um, your ability to just uh, live within yourself and not let the gravity of the moment really control uh, too much. And I think there's so many people that uh, recognize that there were things going on outside of uh, you know themselves and and a lot of pressure that must come and so and and you for sure uh, you know like could have um, let that come to you because as a defending world champion coming into the Olympics, there, there had to be a height of expectations on you. And you even had like celebrities highlighting you and celebrating <laughs> after the fact. Is that weird? I mean, it definitely is. I mean, I think it was the hardest to kind of stay in my own lane, I guess, go even the whole lead up to the Olympics because Canada had such strict kind of meet schedules and uh, COVID protocols. So, I mean, we hadn't really competed at the same level as the Australians and the Chinese and the Americans. So it was definitely hard kind of seeing them post world records and top times in the world at that time. So I think it was definitely motivating, but it also was kind of hard to sit on the sidelines and be like, I wonder how fast we're going to go. And even our trials wasn't 
as hyped up as as other trials. So I think that was also hard, just finding the internal motivation. But I mean, swimming with the girls at the center just kind of helped a lot, I think, in that sense, because we were always competing and racing each other in practice, which I think gave us an extra push. And the fact that when we finally were able to kind of get out of the same environment that we'd been in for 15 months was really refreshing. And I think that also kind of attributed to the success that we had once we finally kind of got a change of scenery and a change of atmosphere and definitely a change of competitors. How many medals you guys got? I mean, Penny, Kylie, two relays, yourself. That's incredible. Yeah, I think our group, so we put 11 people on the team from uh, the High Performance Center Ontario. And then I think we came back with 15 medals. Wow. Which is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was just about to ask, so what is the, the takeaway, especially for the Canadian women from this Olympics? We knew in, in uh, Rio as a young team, kind of um, some unexpected results. Now, a little bit more expectation, but it seemed to live up to it on our end. But what is the internal dialogue within the, the female team? Yeah, I think we're really, really happy with our performance. I mean, we matched our Rio count and going in, we really didn't know where we stood against the rest of the world. And although we didn't medal in certain events we did in Tokyo or in Rio, we like upgraded all the medal colors from all the same events. So we thought that was a really interesting thing. And then we had a bunch of fourth places, but that's just even more motivating for going forward. Where is your, where are your medals? Talking about colors, where are they? Well, usually they're like literally on me at all times, um, but they're currently at home. But I always have them in my pockets. I figured out my jeans are the best, like kind of. You have your medals in your pockets, like just. <laughs> you have your no, yeah. Everyone's medals. Nobody medals. Medal, so she's got to have them handy, right? So when you go to pay, go to general interview. She goes to Tim Hortons. She goes to pay with a medal. Sorry, the thing is, credit card. No, I don't have them like attached to me, I guess, that much, but I figured out my jean, my jean shorts are like the best way to transport them because I can put one in each pocket and still have a pocket for my phone. George <laughs> for the win. You heard it. George for the win. <laughs> but yeah, no, but it's been great to like show them to people and let them feel it and hold it. So, I mean, I had a party with some of my old teachers and friends yesterday, so it was really special getting to share that with them and they were yeah. wearing them and kind of, I hadn't seen them in a while, so it was really special to kind of take the time to kind of talk to them and tell them about my experience. Which one means the most to you of the three? I mean, they all mean something, but I think, I think the silver one, because it was my very first one and it was on the relay with Penny, Kyle and Rebecca. And for three of us, it was our first Olympic medal. So I think that one has got to be the most exciting one. What did you think about the um, the COVID protocols for the medal ceremony? I think there was a lot of there was a lot of publicity <laughs> here around. Oh, it's, it's kind of disappointing that the athletes, you know, have that moment uh, with the mask on on the podium, and then and then yet you can take them off for a brief period of time. Did, was that I don't know? And then and then you had folks like uh, you know Michael Andrew got a lot of negative publicity here for not um, wearing his mask in the mix zone and uh, that sort of thing. But like, just what was your general take on on that whole uh, thing? It was good. I mean, it was kind of weird presenting the medal to yourself, but that's why I think I love the relay medals so much is because we are actually the first people on the first day to decide. It was Penny's idea. We were about to walk out. She's like, "Why don't we give the medals to each other?" Yeah. So we kind of started that trend and that was kind of carried throughout the entire meet, which we thought was really special because we've seen the work we put in and we've like trained with each other. So I think that was a really powerful thing. Uh, and they literally had like a, a printed out 
like a binder with like a page that said mask on and then like mask off. So they would like hold it up and then it would kind of tell you when you could take it off and when you had to put it back on. Wait, so are you saying that the, that your relay is the reason why the, the protocol became that all the athletes just put it on themselves? Had it, was it different before? No, I mean, like we were all supposed to put it on ourselves. But our relays oh, okay. decided that yeah. since we were in the same bubble, we could put them on each other. Metal. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I get it. Yeah. 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 What What was the biggest surprise of the Olympics to you? Um, the amount of walking in the village. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was not prepared for that, and I haven't biked in ten years or so. Uh, but they had bikes like right outside, readily readily accessible. So I hopped on those a couple of times, and my mom wasn't thrilled that I picked up that new sport while I was away. But I was like, it was the fastest way to get around. I've been lucky to go to two villages, and I'll never forget the line at McDonald's. Why is a line at McDonald's in a village just so long? The cafeteria is busy, but it's, it's easy to get food. Was there a we line, didn't have line McDonald's. McDonald's. You didn't have McDonald's? There wasn't one. Everyone was so upset about it. That's like, because wow. all the athletes who don't have McDonald's in their home countries, that's why they want to go there. What was transportation like? Was it easy to get on the buses to the pool? Um was that a pain? It wasn't bad once the meet started. Um, we were the furthest like building from where you get the buses. So like the walk was a little bit longer. Yeah. Uh, and then we were like one of the furthest bus stops. Um, but originally like they had like one or two buses. And then the problem was the bus would fill up and then they would leave early. But there wouldn't be another one to like come right after it. So we were kind of waiting for like one time. I think we waited for like an hour. But then once the meet started, they had like them just like coming gradually and it wasn't really a matter of schedule. It was just like, if it's full, yeah, yeah. like another one there. And I asked because it really affected the schedules of the athletes in Rio. Cause you, know, you race at 10 till 12. And then right then you warm down, got on a bus. That was a long bus ride, got to the village, go eat, you're in bed at 3 a.m. So that was a hard thing in Rio. Did you attend oh, opening? Yeah. No, Canada never lets, uh, we never, the swimmers never get to go just because our competition always starts like the next day. So oh, that's no just been sport. something that's in Canada we've never really done, uh, which is fine. So it was nice with COVID knowing that we weren't like missing any, out on anything that we would normally get to do. Um, yeah. But it just kind of sucks that we had to come home before our closing because usually we're always allowed to go to that one. Yeah. Did you still yeah. dress up and everything? Yeah, yeah, we dressed up and like took pictures and we watched yeah. the buses like uh, come to pick everyone up and leave. So that was really exciting. <laughs> who was it? Who was your kids? Was it Roots? Uh, Hudson's Bay. Hudson Bay. Oh, nice. You liked it? Were yeah. you happy with it? Yeah. Everyone, I love the jean jacket. I mean, I know there was controversy on that, but I thought it was so cool. I feel like oh, you yeah. could get a George sponsor with your uh, metal comment. <laughs> yeah, maybe. All right. Okay. We talked about your races. I'd love to know, outside of your races, individual and relay, what was your, your favorite race that you watched at the Olympics? Hmm. I didn't really get to watch too many of them. I think it might have been Kylie's turn her back, though. Yeah. Because she just went out for it. And yeah. she's always been more of a 100 swimmer, but she's really kind of grown into the 200. So it's been really great to kind of watch that evolution. And, yeah, she went out for it. And to come get back with a second was a really amazing thing for her. She came third at Worlds. So that was a nice step up. Yeah, she had a great mate. It was exciting to watch her as well. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned coaches. Who were your coaches there? Rick, 
were you working with Rick at all? And then who are your coaches? Rick and Mike were floating around. Yeah. Uh, and then I was mainly working with Ben Titley and Ryan Millett uh, at the center just because I'd been there for the last four months. Yeah. But no, it was nice having Mike and Rick around uh, in case I needed them. And they kind of, they've just seen me through some of the, like the yeah. most pressurized summits. So it was just nice to know that they were, uh, they were there. Absolutely. I'm curious about your fluidity with all the different coaches. Uh, and I mean, that's a very mature thing to be able to uh, you know, prepare yourself for bigger meets with, you know, kind of coaches during the college season. You've got a coach that's moved on to a different school. You've got, you know, coaches that are uh, that you're with here. But um, any, like, how do you approach uh, that? Do you, I mean, do you have a lot of control over the program and a lot of say in the way that you paper? Do you feel like you've got a really good handle on what you need in especially the final preparation for a meet to give you confidence or are you the type of person who's really bought into what the coaches are telling you and you're just there along for the ride i would say i'm like in the middle i guess i mean if you'd asked me like a year or two ago about fluidity and jumping from coach to coach i would have been a lot more hesitant i think more nervous about how it would turn out. But I think with COVID and the fact that everything has just been changing so rapidly that I had, I kind of had to adapt to different situations. And I think just the fact that I couldn't control that really helped me uh, just because I'm always like, likes to do things that are familiar, things that I've always done. So I think that made it a lot easier. And then, um, I mean, this was only my second, I guess, real taper meet, a big summer meet, I guess. So I'm kind of, trying to figure out tapers still. So there's not really anything particular that I like to do. Uh, and then there are certain things in the water that I know I need to do, like power towers, kind of underwater kicking kind of stuff like that, that I need to make sure that I had to kind of adapt into my training program in Toronto. Uh, but I was definitely anxious about getting started because I hadn't really trained with them for a long period of time. And I kind of just jumped right into what they were doing. Uh, so it really worked out for the best. And I'm excited to kind of, Spend more time with them, but also kind of to experience different things at Michigan uh, with all the changes that are coming up. Yeah, let's get into the changes. First of all, whose idea was it? It was very strategic to jump in the transfer portal so you can, I'm assuming, talk to Rick, right? During and, and, and speak to Rick. But what's going forward? Like, what changes have you put in place with Mike moving forward to Michigan and with Ben and Ryan at Canada still wanting to be influenced? What's going on for the next three months? That's it. Yeah, so the idea was actually mine. Um, everything nice. kind of happened while I was in Toronto, and it was kind of really unexpected. So there was a period of time where I wasn't sure what I was going to do, if I was going to return to Michigan at all, stay at the center, transfer somewhere else. Um, so I'd been mulling that decision for a while. I wasn't sure, like, I didn't wasn't clear on transfer rules or anything like that. Um, but when we got to the village before um, I saw Rick, I had to talk to Mike about it. I was like, this is what I need to do for me, for this meet. If I want to set my best, this is kind of, I need to deal with this kind of head on. So yeah. he was really understanding in that. And he didn't, he didn't realize that there was like a grad graduate like option, I guess. So he was like, Oh, why don't you wait till you get back to campus and then decide. But I was like, this is something like I need to do now. And my mom was kind of just like, do whatever you need to do. But I think she kind of finds it hard sometimes that I can focus on so many different things but still do them well. Cause she's like, can you just focus on your swimming and you can uh, deal with that later when you get back. But I was like, this will help my swimming 
and this is something that I need to do. So they were really all understanding in that. So that was my main Great. motivation for joining or for uh, jumping in the portal uh, during the Olympics. And it was needed. I mean, I saw him and that was hard at first uh, just because I knew he was going to be leaving and I'm just going to miss him a lot, but LSU is lucky to get him. And then he was there. I'd saw him a couple times and right before my hundred fly, we kind of chatted for a bit. So it was good to know that he was there and I could talk to him without feeling like I was breaking any rules. Thoughts on that move and um, you know the, what was the deciding factor to stay? And go to Michigan. Well, I I made my mind up that I wanted to stay there for four years because that's kind of what I signed on to do originally, and I wanted to stay true to my word. and And there's still one thing I haven't accomplished at Michigan yet that I want to, and that's winning a Big Ten team title. So I'm hoping we can get that done in my last season here. But I think one of the main reasons was I think transferring undergrad when I'm almost done is kind of a big pain, from what I've heard from my friends that have transferred. So. I definitely wanted to stick it out, um, not just for that, but just for the team as well. Did you consider ISL at all? I didn't. Um, I considered it for fifth year, um, but since I have bigger like academic goals later on and I'm going to swim for another couple of years, maybe past Paris, I figured I should stay in school because I enjoy learning. Uh, so I knew I wanted to pursue a master's uh, while I finish up my last year and then Hopefully, ISL will still be waiting for the next couple of years after that. Oh, the a APL, ASL. What are you studying? What do you want to do master's in? Uh, I haven't decided yet. I'm still kind of looking at programs, which is kind of happening simultaneously as I look at other programs. McGill has, has a good grad school. Not a good swim team, though. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm definitely studying in the States. Plug it. <laughs> so we're biased. We follow the ISL. We love it. I'd love to hear your view on ISL and really if you do think it's going to be around when you're ready for it. I really hope so. I mean, it's something that I've really enjoyed watching the last two seasons and I can't wait to watch them. Uh, I don't know what day it starts, but I think pretty sure it starts this week. Uh, so I'm really excited to do that. And then of course, like the traveling that comes with it is also another bonus, but I'm excited that swimming is being more recognized, especially after the Olympics and that it's kind of has its own professional league of its own. What event would you would love to swim in? Like you look says, this looks like super fun and I know I'll kick butt in and I would enjoy that so much. Would it be one of the relays? Would it be the skins? One of the, I don't know. What, what would it be, you think? I, I want to say 50 back skins. Yeah. Yeah. You take like eight strokes. Back, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm just excited to swim short course meters, so. Maybe I'll be at, hopefully I'll be at Short Course World to something I'm, that's on my calendar for December where I'll get to kind of improve my short course meter times from three years ago. So I sorry, I want to go back to a little bit about that ISL decision. I think it's interesting that it wasn't uh, it sounded like as much of a factor in in um, your decision making because uh, from where all of us sit, we're like. Well, I think we even talked about it the last time you were on the show is that how much you tear up the ISL. Uh, I mean, it's too much a format. You obviously swim extremely well long course, but you tear up short course too, and they're so versatile. Um, but there's no doubt that, that there, I mean, yeah, you could show up and not do well, but the potential to earn a lot of money is there. So, I mean, why not, why not do the ISL, make over 100 grand, 
and then, you know, pay one year of tuition to finish your degree and then just keep pro swimming while at the same time accepting the metal money that for sure the opportunities that are coming on the tail end of the summer. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely something I've thought about. Um, but I think now with the new NIL rules, like I can start to do something and start to kind of capitalize on my swimming that I've done so far. And I think that's kind of also been a factor. Like if that wasn't a thing, I maybe might not have been so inclined to do a fifth year swimming in the NC2A. But now that I'm kind of starting to make money on top of the fact that I'll still be swimming in the NC2A and getting scholarship to go to school, I think that is kind of what tipped the scales for me. So give us a sense. How much money? No, I'm just kidding. But where? <laughs> <laughs> but um, but how? Like how? Like as, as somebody who's living it right now and sort of the first generation of uh, being able to take take advantage of this rule change. Uh, where are you finding some of the opportunities that you you can you know legally accept money and still maintain your eligibility? Yeah, it's definitely challenging. I mean, there's a lot of rules and there's a lot of like little changes between states um, Michigan doesn't have a law in place right now. So I think it's kind of more general, uh, but it's definitely a whirlwind trying to kind of navigate it. I've never been in anything like this before. So just currently trying to figure out how things work and kind of sort that out before I dive too deep into looking for sponsorships and agents and things like that. Was it like a big, like, because obviously it's in, the rules change and everything. And was there any like big sort of, oncoming like slaughter of like sponsorship sort of coming your way or not necessarily maybe for you but like as well but for, like some of your mates like I feel like a lot of as soon as the rules changed a lot of um like places would suddenly like take the opportunity to email people or like message people and and get them on the bandwagon like early did that happen or not was it quite slow yeah I mean I got some emails right out of the gate uh, most of them came while I was in Tokyo so I've kind of been yeah putting those off until I'm starting to get at them now and kind of slowly go through my inbox and kind of respond to people and read through those emails. But uh, I think it's a great thing to kind of start to kind of capitalize on the fact that they're letting us do this. And then as far as my teammates go, I think most of them swim in Canada. So they're kind of in that they've experienced that already. Um, but I, a lot of the American athletes in the NC2 are starting to work on that. So it's great that there's going to be a strong group of us that have kind of, kind of chartered this territory and kind of, getting it ready and perfecting it for the next couple of years. So what type of promotion or what type of company or is Maggie McNeil looking to work with? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, this is variety of What are the moral different things, roles? What type of social mission are they working towards? We really want to know. But, I mean, the one I'm definitely going after is like, I want to be, I want to get sponsored by like a glasses company. Like, I feel like this is definitely what makes me me. And like everyone kind of knows that my glasses are kind of what defines me. And I don't see that changing at any point. I don't really want to wear contacts ever. So I think that is going to be something that really speaks to me and can help so many other people. Um, so I think that's a really good place to start. And I haven't really thought too much about it yet, but I think I want to start there. And, but I also want to find um, businesses that kind of support causes that I'm into and just does a lot of outreach kind of thing as well. I'm telling you, you're onto something with the jean shorts. You got to remember that. Canadian tuxedo. Come on, you can. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Specially designed pockets for medals. Oh. 
Not as cool as Tom Daly's little cozies that he knitted. <laughs> All right. So who's the who's some person that you met uh, outside of uh, the sport of swimming um, that uh, yeah you had no idea that you would meet going in? Did you make any friends? I mean, we didn't really interact too much with the other sports. I mean, we kind of wanted to stay to ourselves, so COVID didn't spread as easily, which I mean, I think would be not the case if it was like a normal games. Uh, but I did get to see my friends from school in the dining hall, which was nice, and kind of get to spend some time with them uh, as their swimmers, and we were kind of all in the same bubble, I guess. What did it What did it feel like um, representing the Asian community uh, and and being there in an Asia based uh, Olympic Games? Did, did um, yeah, I don't know. Was there any? Um, did you have did you carry with you any other uh feelings um that were just related to to that i mean that's always kind of been an interesting topic that's been brought up since 2019 mm -hmm. i mean i didn't i don't think i handled it well the first time that it got brought up because i didn't i didn't think about it so McKenna didn't think about it so none of us are kind of really prepared when they kind of popped the question it kind of just came out of the woodworks there but i think i was more prepared coming into this game just knowing that it was in asia uh, one of the questions I was asked in the, it was like a press conference after my hundred fly was about where I was from and how I was born and how I came to Canada and stuff. And I mean, it is part of my story, but it really doesn't, it's not really, I guess, important when it comes to how my swimming kind of progressed and everything like that. So that's kind of the answer I gave them eloquently. Um, but I mean, if I speak to the Asian community and kind of, they can identify with me, that's great, but it's not something that I'm trying to focus too much of my story on. The, the, I was going to ask the, the other athletes. I mean, the, the favorite was a Chinese swimmer. Um, that's uh, in, in in four. Um, Sarah is the world record holder. Um, what what words did did your competitors or your your peers tell you that stood out that were meaningful? Did Sarah tell you congrats to your Olympic champion? I think she said. Like like what were some meaningful things that your peers told you? Um, that really stand out, that show the camaraderie of the sport, that we all are one community. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you guys saw what Sarah said. She basically yeah. said, yeah, congrats, you're Olympic champion. So that was really nice. And I think swimming beside her, there's just something familiar about it, I think, from 2019. So I think that's another reason why I probably wasn't as nervous as I would have been normally, just knowing that she was there. And I was like, I've done this before. Yeah. Um, so that was really great. And then I didn't really talk too much to other people. I mean, they corral us into the metal, metal room, like, way earlier than they need to. So Em and I had a nice good chat. We hadn't chatted in a while and kind of heard about their quarantine and kind of the last year that they've experienced. So that was really nice too, but didn't really talk too much. Anything that Rick told you, you, you seem to have enjoyed the moment you got to speak to Rick before you raced. Is there any line or any words that he told you that stood out or you told him or any moments? I wouldn't say there was, I mean, his usual, just have fun. I mean, always kind of just sticks with me, but yeah. I mean, we just had so many good conversations over the last three years. So I kind of just, I know what he's going to say and it's not really too surprising. So I can kind of play it over my head uh, before I swim anyways. What's LSU gaining in Rick Bishop? Oh my God, so much. I think just the fact that he's such a hard worker and that he, he cares about his athletes as people and not just as swimmers. And that's something I'm really going to miss about him. All right, real question. This one's for Brian. Four years from now, who wins SECs? Or who's who's ahead in SECs? Auburn or LSU? Auburn. I have no idea. I don't, I don't know too much. I don't know that much about SECs. Come on, it's the Waco era. 
He's going to destroy the bishop. <laughs> I guess we'll see what happens in four years then. <laughs> oh, yes. All right. Then I'll you at a football game for a friendly wager when you're a professional and you can bet on four games. <laughs> I wouldn't even know the first thing about betting in football. I don't even understand the game. <clears throat> I don't understand over-unders. Brian tried to explain to me over-unders. I still don't get what over-under means. I, I don't get it. It's like... It's a, that's when you do a 25 underwater. Oh, you see? Exactly. And no. then you swim back over the water. <laughs> oh, okay. water blackout. Underwater. That's not Shout out what about guys. That's not going to That's not what it is. <laughs> one day. One, one day we'll get it. Luke. Someday. Someday I'll understand football. Uh, what was – so besides uh, how long it took to walk around, was there anything from the swimming of the Olympics that uh, you went in thinking uh, it was going to play out a certain way and then it um, then it didn't play out that way? I don't think so. I mean, I think we kind of went in expecting kind of – we had really high expectations and, like, we were preparing for a really different games and then it really wasn't as different as I thought it was going to be as far as – COVID protocols and just like competition style and everything. So I think it kind of, we over-prepared and then we were ready for whatever happened. How, how, how could have, how could have it got better? What, what are you hoping that Paris brings that Tokyo didn't have besides people, obviously? Uh, I would just say I'm really excited to kind of hang around and go visit other sports yeah. and kind of be at the closing ceremonies. Like, I think that'll be a really cool experience. I remember get- I went to Canada House, and Canada House is such a cool house to go to. I, 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 you know, and just be with the athletes. Meg, sorry, go ahead. Ash said, "Did you get to watch? Like, obviously, you mentioned that you didn't get to watch that much of him, but like, there was still like a bit of an atmosphere, like in the poolside, like on, on poolside. So, did you get to watch much, like, from the stands, like, and support Canada, or did you not really do much of that?" I was up there a couple of days. Um, I had about six, five, six days between my hundred fly mm-hmm. final and the relay. Um, so then I was only swimming, I did a, mostly singles. So I had time to kind of go in the stands and kind of be up there and get to experience that. Um, but when I was swimming the first couple of days and then the last two, we just watched it on the live stream, which was, it was pretty great too, though. It just didn't feel like we were watching the Olympics. It just kind of felt like any normal meet because that's how we'd watch the time trials this year. That's how, that's how we watched trials. So it kind of just felt like another meet, which was weird. Is there any part of you that thinks that Paris is going to be the same way if we're sitting here three years from now in the same situation? Um, I'm hoping not. I mean, COVID is it's on its fourth wave here in Ontario. So hopefully we'll get something controlled and have some, a little bit more normalcy in three years. But so much has changed and is changing rapidly that I don't think we could predict what's going to happen in three years. Or Brian, I have a question for you. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was gonna, I was gonna ask you, what were you most impressed with? 48, 48, Meg? Am I 48, 89. 48, 89 or 55, 59? Which one were you impressed? You being a, a butterfly yourself. I mean, that 48, 89 was the swim of the year back in March, and don't let us forget what the hell that was. That was crazy. What were you more impressed about? Uh, well, you know. I think because I'd seen you go 55 before and seen you win before, I might have to say 48 just because it's got some magic to it and it's such a big barrier. But, uh, I mean, I have to say, too, that there's 
there, there's, there's the people that win it once and there's the people that stand up when the lights shine brightest and can get it done time and time again. And I think that like you've established yourself as, as one of those people. And I have to say that while I was, while I was swimming and, and one of the things that's continued just in my, like now as a career, as a fan, <laughs> it's fun to watch people who, you know, have that killer instinct. And I mean, I hope you go on to, to continue to do this, but the way that you've described your, um, your mental approach and uh, the like, the lack of gravity that the moments seem to have on you gives you such a huge advantage, whether or not it's nature or nurture or practice, whatever it is, you've got it. And I think like, I think it's that follow-up delivery that um, had me so impressed to see you get your hands on the wall uh, first um, uh, again in the big moment, uh, especially after the way the first couple of swims were, where it was, you know, maybe just like less than magical and the field was so tight. It's just like, yeah, we all knew that you're the world champion coming in, but to get it done again. Uh, yeah. It's, you're, you're in a rare club. Thank you. I would agree though, that 48, 48 is a little bit better, but yeah. Well, what about 47? <laughs> maybe, maybe my fifth year. I like it. Was the was the fifty five twenty seven the fastest relay split of all time? Does anyone know? Second fastest. Second fastest. What's the third was third was one one hundredth behind me. Sarah went a fifty five oh in twenty seventeen, I think. What was your relay start? What was your takeoff? Two seven. I gotta pull it up. <laughs> Point two seven. There it is. Just gotta clean that up. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Auburn yeah. spreading right there. Clean up. That it used to be point four at uh, NC Twins my freshman year, so we're already we're already getting there. Point four. That's eating a sandwich on the block. <laughs> I know. You can't see them. Yeah. You can't see. The, the, the two hundred. The two hundred medley relay at NC is my freshman year. Point four. Four. I have to say the short axis strokes are tricky. Long axis strokes are easier to jump. Uh, They're to easier jump. to time. Yeah. yeah. They are. Yeah. But breast strokes crazy. Uh, do you blame the point two seven? <laughs> no, I would say it's probably just me being careful. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Hmm. I, I, give some advice on how you control your nerves. I, I still remember being on anchoring a relay on the blocks and wanting to vomit to my teammate. It's like, I can't do this. I'm going to vomit <laughs> on you. I'm, I'm so nervous. Or, and the guy will slap me to get me going. Or I'll be yawning because that's the body's instinct to get more oxygen. I'm so nervous. How do you? How did you do? Yeah, you on the blocks of lane seven Olympic final. What do you do to just like have that mindset like you, you've been talking about? Like just have fun. Like, it's one thing to say it to yourself, but it's never a thing to do it and to be in a moment. What if you, how, how does one do that? Yeah, I mean, I think it is different. Like, it's definitely easier to say. But, I mean, I don't think it was actually that hard to do either, like, in that moment. I was just so carefree about how I was going to swim because I just wasn't happy with how I did. So I was like, I can't control anyone else. I can't control myself. So I was like, I'm just going to go and have fun and just do it. And I mean... There wasn't really any other – I feel like there wasn't any option for me to kind of get nervous and tense up because that definitely would have cost me. So I think definitely worked to my advantage in that sense. 
but I think nothing will top how nervous I was at NCs this year. And nothing will top how nervous I was anchoring between Simone Manuel and Kate Campbell back in 2019. So well, I think I those two experiences yeah. have Helped kind of you. shown me, yeah, what what not to do. What else gets you nervous besides something swimming related? Is it school? Is it family stuff? Is it Christmas lunch? Like, what else would get you like nervous and like, I can't take this. I need to get out of here. Or I'm anxious. Yeah. Are you a nervous person? Or you just like chill, laid back. It seems very chill, but. I, I feel like I'm pretty chill and laid back. I mean, I like to have fun, but I know when I have to do homework or I need to study or I need yeah. to do a presentation or if I have to swim, like those where I'm going to have to kind of switch gears and focus. But I wouldn't say I really get nervous doing or I guess public speaking makes me nervous. Yeah. But yeah. And then I'm starting to get over that slowly. How about you, John? John, John, you speak to people all day, every day, and you swim. Do you get nervous at all, John? I want to hear about Christmas lunch and the packs, and I'll say Because we have an eating competition. about Christmas lunch and what that really even is. <laughs> what do you eat? No, we have an eating competition where we you have to go and you have to weigh your plate going in to have a scale. And you have a, a, duty, a, a judge who measures your weight. And you, you swim yourself, you weigh your plate with the food. And then you eat, and when you finish, you weigh your empty plates and they retaliate. I literally have the, I found results recently. My wife came second because she just ate salad. And she kept eating salad for like four hours. Whereas I ate like meat, 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 and I got full. I was done after like 10 minutes. Oh my God, that's so funny. <laughs> it's competition. You're to Coney Island, so I think soon you'll be in the Nathan's hot dog competition. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking more like how many hot dogs can you eat? Kind of like like uh, quantitative as opposed to like just see how much you can fit in your mouth at one time and kind of go like that. These don't sound like Christmas lunches. Oh, it's so good. I'm going to live this tradition. <laughs> no kidding. Let's steal it. What was the reception like coming back um, after the Olympics? Like, obviously, you've, you've did a lot of a lot of media, a lot of press, but you come back with three Olympic medals, one of each color. Like, what was the reception like? Like, not just from like family, but like from Canada, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's been really great. Like, I think because of COVID and the fact that everyone's like tuning in, um, and they were broadcasting more. I think more people were kind of watching and just enjoying it, just kind of, it was, I guess it was a form of escapism from life and COVID and how everything's been like the last two years. Um, but I had this huge sign put up in my front yard by my neighbors and there were a bunch of people waiting for me when I got home. So that was really sweet. Although I was like, I just got, I've been traveling for 22 hours. I'm tired and I'm smelly, but it's fine. And I, it was fun. It was really sweet to see them. Uh, I was just like, I just feel gross, but didn't hug anyone. But, um, and then it's just also been weird because with the signs out front, like random people, I live by a bike path. So random people like bike by my house and then they'll like come and like knock on the door and ask if we can like get a picture. Really? Yeah. Wow. So it's been, it's been I'm crazy like in that sense, but I'm still enjoying it. And I just love giving my medals to people to kind of look at and know that I kind of did it for them. Did you read, did you hear about the mayor who bit the medal and the Olympics had to replace the medal? Yeah, I did. I read that on Twitter, I think. It was that somewhere. <laughs> yeah, the mayor took a bite of the medal, took a picture. And he was a Japanese to... badminton player. Oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah and he left his, like, oh, two marks of his... He got another one. Yeah. So don't I even like you. 
Yeah, I, I wouldn't do that. They're quite soft and they're already kind of banged up, but shows that they're loved and that's kind of what everyone says. It gives them character. So at, at European Championships, this is soccer. Um, every player kisses the trophy and they all kiss. This is this year, like a month ago, and they all kiss the same point on the trophy. And that was very worrying to me for many reasons. But Come yeah, exactly. It, 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 like, it's disgusting, by the way. Um, you, um, you, what did you do when you get your medal? Like, and like, we didn't see the ceremony. Did Okada play? Did you, did you, did you shed a tear? Did you, this, oh well, the school? Like, what was that like? Stand at podium, you Olympic champion. Describe that to us. Well, I mean, I didn't, I didn't cry. I mean, I feel like my family probably cried more than I did. Yeah, um, but I think it was just like I still kind of in shock. I mean, it was completely different than winning out worlds. I don't know, just the feel of it and the atmosphere, not just the lack of people, but just the Olympic prestige, I guess. And it was fun kind of just walking around the pool and like waving to the people in the stands. I mean, there weren't that many people, but uh, it was like just it was different. I don't really know how to describe it, but there are definitely parts that were similar, but it was just I think it was just a bigger level and it was it was more meaningful, I guess. Yeah, well, yeah, let's talk about that because you said the world championship was something that you, you know, it's more thrilling to have won, but uh, being an Olympic champion means a lot more than being world champion. Why is that? I'll put it all to all of us. Why do you think the Olympics still have that such meaningful stuff? It's because it is the pinnacle of our sport still. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we all it strive. Is. I mean, as swimming, I yeah. mean, the Olympics is the top, like it's the top tier. Um, and for most sports, it's like that. Very few. It's like you have the NBA, the yeah. uh, NFL, things like that, where there is further to go. But for swimming, it really is just an Olympic sport. So I think knowing that and the fact that that's something I've been thinking about and wanting to do since I was like, since I knew what it was, uh, I think that's what just made it even more special, I guess. John? You know, see, yeah, just a greater reach. I mean, how many people after world champs were stopping by your house to take pictures with you? Right? None yeah, or very few. The mainstream. Yeah, but that's the NBC fifteen billion dollar TV contract helps out as well. I mean, oh, but it's because yeah, we see it. So 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 now you've achieved the goal. What's your next? I'm sorry to ask this question, Jesus Christ. But yeah, what I mean, you, you repeat a record. SEC championships, Big Big Ten championships. Sorry, I heard her say fifty-four earlier. I'm not sure if anyone else uh, wanted to grab that one. Project fifty-four. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in the interim, I think it'd be um, if I go to Short Course Worlds. I think winning a medal at that meet would be cool, and then in February, uh, winning the Big Ten that's, team title yeah, is yeah, the yeah. next thing on my list because that's the last thing I think I have to accomplish at Michigan. I mean. I've accomplished everything and more than I thought I was going to. And that's the one thing that I wanted to do more than anything going in. When I committed, they had won three years in a row. Uh, and then we kind of have been on a whatever it is, three-year losing streak, I guess, just coming second, which is still amazing, don't get me wrong. But going in, I think that's kind of what I've thought at the forefront of my mind and what I wanted to do. And then Worlds again in May, and I think the world record is – within reach and I think that's kind of what I'm aiming for now. What do you guys need to do to win big tens? I mean, just, I mean Purdue is a, is a deal breaker, right? I mean, what's going on? What do you need to do to win big tens? I mean, who, what is it? Do you got some new people coming in? Did you lose a lot of seniors? What, what's going on there with the team? 
Yeah, we graduated a pretty big class and no one's returning, but I think having a, we have a pretty big freshman class coming in and I think having new blood that's ready to go and is excited to see what they can accomplish at the college level. I think just having that fresh eyes will kind of help us accomplish our goals. And I think just knowing that this is kind of my last, one of my last big team meets at my last big team meet, I guess at Michigan, because NC2A is a smaller roster, but I think it'll give everyone motivation to kind of, strive for that first spot. Brian, how did that help you when you had an Olympic gold medalist come back to the team? And how did that help Auburn back in, you know, in 08 when Caesar came back with a gold? How did it help your dynamic for that team chemistry? Uh, well, actually, at that point, um, you know, I wasn't on the college team anymore. Uh, but I did have some other experiences of, you know, uh, Teammates who came back, uh, I could think of 2004, Kirsty Coventry, you know, raked uh, medals at that Olympics and, and came back um, as, you know, I, I there are several examples. But I think the biggest thing is that, um, you know, when, when people leave the college environment and establish themselves as among the most elite in the world, uh, as if they didn't already have uh, a wealth of experience to impart on their teammates, uh, like, for sure, that gives you quite the hot microphone uh, to come back and, um, you know, and I think have an equal share of provoked and unprovoked uh, advice that you're able to offer. And so, I mean, uh, it's not like uh, it will for sure the experience has changed you as a, every experience, you know, that, that we live shapes each of us that we can't necessarily know. Um, you know, you're still Maggie and you'll go back and you'll be the same great teammate, but at the same time, uh, you'll, you'll have the wisdom of what it's like to be in the ready room of an Olympic final for swim in the morning to, um, you know, navigate different, uh, coaching, like, you know, situations to deal with, uh, the uncertainty of a pandemic to, I mean, like the list goes on to, um, how to think just about the one thing that you need to think about in your race and have that be, you know, accelerating your turnover and have that have that translate into results, you know, and that works. So there's just a number of things that I think, uh, you know, those that experience uh, a lot at the on the biggest stage uh, can come back and um, and so I think it's just, uh, yeah, it's it's comforting to have you know, someone that you can go to uh, for advice on how to do what you're trying to do well, you know, uh, and, um, you know, because I think that we all need to do that as athletes, as people, whatever it is that we're trying to, you know, get better at. It's seek out those who have done what you want to achieve and done it well and, uh, you know, and ask them questions. So, I mean, good for you, Maggie. You get to be that. You get to be that person. Yeah. Thank you. So day one, women's Big Tens. Maggie McNeil getting ready to give a little pump, pump talk to the team, a little nervous. What do you say? This is the last thing I have to accomplish. Come on, guys. No pressure. I have no all pressure. It's the only thing I want left. this. I don't know if I'd say it in words so much. I think that kind of puts a lot of pressure on people, and they kind of get anxious and worry about that too much. And I think that's something we've learned from – uh, in the last three years, we've kind of talked about it to kind of kind of to death, I guess. Like, this is what you need to go. We need this, 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 and this. So I think by letting swimming do the talking, and I know the medley relay being the first event, I think we just got to go out there and hammer it. And I think I can do that by splitting a 
which I know I'm capable of doing. And I think that'll hopefully set us on the right foot heading into like the rest of the week. Is there any, uh, are, are you focused at all on individual results when it comes to NCAA competition or is it all about the team now? I mean, of course I still want to, I want to go back to back and hunter fly and hunter fruit would be cool too. But I think I've, I've kind of gotten that, like I've gotten that spotlight and I've won NCAAs individually. So I think this is where I want to kind of do the best of both worlds and focus on the team, but also focusing on just having fun, but doing well in my individual races. And I think just enjoying it and enjoying my last one at Michigan will help me do that for both. Should swimming and diving be combined as Olympic sports with like one Olympic sport? What do you mean? Like, like, you mean like in college where it's like swimming and diving? Yeah. I mean, like, I feel like it's like that at the Olympics. Yeah, it is. But I think it's, um, I think it's interesting that we combine them as one team in the NCAA and then at the Olympics, it's not like y'all travel together. You don't like all have the same meals. It's not the same staff. It's a totally independent organization. I don't know. It's just one of those things that a lot of college swimmers go and divers go, why, why are these two sports together? It's like, what about water polo and, you know, synchro mm-hmm. or swimming? Are those just out on their own? I don't know. Uh, I think it'd be fun to have swimming and diving more like intertwined. I mean, I love hanging out the dive wall with Hildy, our dive coach. And I'm, I'm often seen there with him just like chatting about life and just enjoying, just enjoying watching the divers. I mean, I'm scared of heights. So that's something I definitely wouldn't be doing. Um, but I think they're an integral part of our team. And I think it'd be cool if it was more intertwined on the international level. Now, do you build that connection more just so that you have, you know, no judgment for all the time you spend in the hot tub? I never sit in the hot tub. Maybe <laughs> once every couple months. Oh, that's pretty good. That's not very sprinter-like of you. <laughs> I'm not a sprinter. <laughs> You're a hell of a fast non-sprinter. Distance. <laughs> it's like oh, sprint man. plus plus. I I would say. All right. What are we just, uh, go back. What so one one prediction for the college season then for us? Um, I mean, I think I have to be kind of try to be accurate because I think three of my four predictions of times from the last time I was on your show actually were right. That's right. We're good luck. Keep it going. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna go with twenty two fifty back. Yep. And I think that's as far as I want to go time wise. I don't think I'm gonna enter to that territory right now. Um, but I think, I think we're going to win big tens. I really do. I like it. Cool. Go make it happen. But I really still want to see a 47. So if you could just figure out a way to just, you know, weave that into your priorities, <laughs> that'd be really great. <laughs> we'll, we'll see about that one. All right. Well, we'll be watching. Thanks for hanging out with us again, Maggie. Congrats on all the success and, uh, yeah, we wish you well. We'll keep watching. Thanks for having me again. Hey, that's it for this episode of the Social Kick Podcast. And on behalf of Meg, Dr. John, and Luke, we'll see you. Hey, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you're enjoying Social Kick, tell your friends about it. And be sure to tell us what you liked by leaving a comment and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at the Social Kick Podcast. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Social Kick. And you can find all of our content on our website at thesocialkick.com.